This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to the Hall of the Universe. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And tonight we're featuring my interview with Baz Lansdorp. He's the guy who wants to take people to Mars and leave them there. Is that even possible? Should he be doing that? We're going to have the answer to that and more on Star Talk. Let's do this. I need some help talking about that topic. Uh, first, my, my, one of my favorite comedians here is Eugene Merman. Eugene, welcome Hello. back to Star Talk. Great to be here. Yeah. Eugene is a professional comedian, and uh, he's a regular on Star Talk. And uh, among other things, he's like the voice of the kid in Bob's Burgers on Fox. Yeah. But... <laughs> So, so can I hear some of that voice just so I- Sure, it sounds a lot like this, but a little yelly. A little yelly, okay. A little All yelly. Right. And, and it's Mike, accurate. You have, and Mike, you have a different talent set here? I, I think so, yes. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. my, my voice, I don't, ha- I don't have a cartoon character voice. <laughs> so I Mike- think my voice is a human voice, <laughs> but go on. I didn't Mike mean it that way. A- you play a cartoon character. That's true, that's yeah. accurate. Yeah, yeah, so uh, Mike yeah. is a former astronaut, and he's not just any astronaut, he's one of the astronauts that repaired the Hubble telescope. So he's a very special place in my, in, in, in my heart. So, I, you know, I had, Bass Lansdorp came through town. He's the CEO of, a, of an organization called Mars One. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen 
a lot of uh, criticism of his work. I've seen I've seen him praised as an entrepreneur. Is it because he's in a boy band? I, I, I don't... I, the praise part or the criticism? Both. <laughs> so I just thought I can't let him pass through town unless I nab him, put him in my office, yeah. and just find out, like, where he's coming from, where he's going, and what he's all about. And he was okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He was okay with that. This isn't one of those forced interviews. Yeah, yeah, no, right, right, where a tell-all kind of thing. No, he was very eager to uh, share mm-hmm. what he, all that he wanted me to know about this project. And uh, he's the CEO of, a, of an organization called Mars One. Mm-hmm. And people have signed up for this. And he wants to go to Mars. Who doesn't want to go to Mars, okay? Well, he doesn't want to come back. (laughs) There's something different about his plan to send people to Mars. Let's check it out. The difference between Mars One and a lot of other ideas is that we are proposing a mission of permanent settlement, a a one-way trip, uh, which takes away the biggest complexity of the, the more standard mission, which is, in my opinion, the return trip. I mean, it's hard to get back. That's true. It's hard to launch rockets from Earth right. with a hundred engineers checking the rocket at the last moment. All the conditions are controlled, let alone launching a rocket from Earth to depart from Mars, flying through space, waiting on Mars for two or four years, and then launching without any um, supervision or checks. In, in, from my point of view, that's practically impossible. And that's why I came up with the idea of permanent settlement. Now, if you have such ideas, Presumably, you have a rocket or some way to get to Mars. We're not an aerospace company, so we're not going to build the rocket. We're actually not going to build any system. We try to source them from established aerospace suppliers all around the world, mostly in the U.S. So you don't have to invent something to do this? No, because it is permanent settlement, there's no new inventions needed. Of course, a lot of, a lot of design, a lot of testing, a lot of building. Uh, before we can actually do it, but no new inventions are needed to get humans to Mars and to keep them alive there. So, Mike. Yeah, where do we start with this? Yes. Well, where do, well, what? He says no new inventions. He, he, we, we've on. been to Mars. Wait, let's back up. Back up. Okay. So, it's not like we don't know how to get to Mars. We know how to get to Mars. Right, but, but he's right as far as coming back is where a lot of the cost is. I mean, right. even the, and that's where a lot of the danger is. The guys that went to the moon... When they went there, they, they not only did they have, they have the land, but they had to get back. It was another launch that they had from the moon. Mike Collins, I heard him speaking about it, said that when on Apollo 11, he was pretty sure he would be able to come back alive because he didn't have the added complexity of landing and then having to launch Mike Collins was in back. the command module that he, never landed. Right, he did not land. When Buzz, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong on the moon, they were, they had, it was a much different uh, situation for them. And they were worried about the, the abort light and, you know, did they have to abort before they landed and so on. Because once you got there, you had to be able to come back. And it is really risky. He's right about all that. But as far as, you know, but that's kind of the point is to come back. You know, if you want to come back, that's what you have to do. Yeah, but if you want to come back, you're not signing up for his mission. So what's your, so you got. All right, okay, fine. Let's go to the next, yeah. right, next topic. <laughs> so it's all people who want to go and stay on Mars. Yes. But he wants the people to arrive alive, correct? I mean, he didn't say no. that. No, he wants the people to die halfway and stay there. Now that I agree with, he can do. But if he I, wants I them to that. arrive, if he wants them to arrive and be healthy, they're going to have to solve a lot of problems. Yes, okay. But in, you're an engineer professionally. You're a PhD in engineering. Don't yes. you love an unsolved problem? Yes, but he's saying they don't need any new technology. No, but they need some clever ideas from engineers. But he doesn't but, need new physics. You know, we bit, we know how to go to Mars. 
we do, but the technology, you're gonna need to protect these people, the radiation problem they're gonna have, keeping people healthy on that long journey and then able to survive on the surface. Okay, here's what, he's got a plan to send supplies in advance mm -hmm. to set up a base camp so that when they land, they're not just bare-assed on the surface of Mars. Can I say There's that? There's already on snacks. That video? Can I say that? Who wouldn't want to fly to a planet full of pretzels? That's your, that's your incentive. It's like the carrot on the end of the stick. Literally. Except the stick is on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the question is, all right, if given enough time, engineers, I think, can solve any problem. I agree. All right, so let's find out from Baz what kind of timetable he has thought up for this plan. Check it out. Our first unmanned mission is scheduled for a departure in 2020. And okay. um, this is possible because it's a copy of uh, the NASA Phoenix mission that uh, was sent to Mars in uh, 2006. Uh, we'll use that platform and install some instruments uh, that will uh, demonstrate important technology for Mars One. Extraction of water from Martian soil, uh, thin film solar panels, but perhaps most right, importantly- Just for, for people to remember, the Phoenix mission uh, was designed to land right at the melting, receding boundary of the polar ice caps so that there would be the highest chance of finding some kind of liquid something, presumably water. Yeah, fro yeah. They, fro they found frozen water, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the platform was not specifically designed for that purpose, but so we can use it at the uh, lower latitude where we want to use it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the most important demonstration of this mission is Mars One. And right. we need to demonstrate to the world that we can actually send stuff to Mars. Right. And that's what this mission will demonstrate. So that's 2020. So 2020. Mm -hmm. 2022, we're going to send a rover to Mars, a rather big rover, more than two tons, uh, that will drive around to find the best location for the settlement. So we know the, the area by then, and it will pinpoint the exact location, determine the water content, uh, make sure it's nice and flat for construction. Again, two years later, in 2024, we're sending all the hardware, uh, so two life support units, two living units, a second rover, and all the supplies. So in the in the artist renderings that I've seen, these are these modules, I guess. They're, they're living modules. Is that what I've seen in the in the posters, I guess? Yeah, the modules are the landing modules. Uh, yeah. The living units are actually two inflatable structures behind two of those uh, landing modules. Uh, that will give them about 200 square meters uh, to live in. So let's go piece by piece. One-way mission with people who would just, we agree to go one way, and he sends supplies in advance. There's going to set up HAB modules. So that's like 2,000 square feet for four, four people, I think. That's like, a, you know, I guess a regular-sized house almost in the suburbs. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Forever. So, okay, Forever. So, right. Well, until you build another one of those. Well, here's my question. What does he do is... He's got stairs. I you get, get to go outside. Look, you, I'm sorry. You can go outside. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. You can just you go walk outside. Around. You go for a walk. It's I great. had no idea how okay. walkable Mars was. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, what is, is he a pyramid scheme or is this uh, sort of reasonable? All right. So I asked Bass, what are his plans <laughs> for actually making this happen? Yeah. Let's check it out. A very important benefit of the permanent settlement aspect is that the size of the of the hardware you need to land is only slightly bigger than uh, such, such systems as the Curiosity rover. So we are building on a on a payload mass of roughly 3,000 uh, kilos of useful cargo to the surface, so excluding the the landing system itself. So 3,000 kilos. That's that's a that's a few people plus food and. And drink. <laughs> exactly. And, and the, the Curiosity rover was only 900 kilos, uh -huh. uh, but it was landing at about two kilometers altitude uh, above the Martian zero, and we will be landing at about minus four 
uh, to make sure that we have as much as possible benefit of the atmosphere, as much as possible time to slow down. Okay, so what you're saying is, I, I didn't know this, in fact, that the elevation where they landed Curiosity, the, the air, the density of the air was relatively thin. Correct. Uh, compared with lower level, lower areas. And if you go lower, you can... You can bring more stuff. You, have, you can use more air to support your landing. Correct, To yeah. give you lift as you descend. Exactly. Okay, and therefore bring more stuff. Bring more stuff, which is very important because every kilo you send to Mars is very expensive. So uh -huh. if you can maximize uh, what you can bring. And so finding a, a place in uh, a low elevation in the right uh, latitude for, uh, for solar and uh, water, so as far north as possible for water, but as far south as possible, of course, for the sun. Uh, so you're thinking of landing in a place not too close to the poles, it may be too cold and not enough sunlight. Correct. Uh, closer to the equator, but not on the equator, because you think there might not be water there or less water. Yeah, there's a lot of research going on on that uh, at the moment, and we think that the best place is mm -hmm. probably between 40 and 45 degrees north latitude. Mm -hmm. That's where New York City is. We're 41 degrees north latitude. So your day will be very comparable to, <laughs> to the day in New York City. Sign me up, okay. <laughs> no, he wants to go to the New York City of Mars. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, I don't know if you knew, but Mars rotates once in about 24 hours. It's tipped on its axis, the, as is Earth, and, which means it goes through seasons, as does Earth. Mars has polar ice caps as does Earth, or at least as does Earth at this moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so... You leave your communist propaganda about <laughs> science. <laughs> uh, so the equator would be zero degrees latitude, and the North Pole would be 90 degrees latitude. So New York City is about 40 degrees north. I think uh, Barcelona, one of the big cities of Spain, is at that latitude as well. Uh, L.A. is a little more south. So... Uh, he wants to be close enough to the poles to be near water, but if you're using the sun as energy, you want to be closer to the equator for that. So there's some place in between. Yeah, so he's, he's thought about it. Absolutely. Water. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's thought about this. Sure. Yeah, he's yeah, got a no good landing spot. Think about it. We're saying it's unlikely slash unrealistic. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, can, I can pick a nice place to go in Australia. Yeah. But I'm going to have to figure out a way to get there. Yes. Well, so. you, yeah. So, also, we know where there's water in Australia. Do we know where there's water? No. Uh, wait, on Mars? It, yeah. may, it, it may be below the surface in a form of permafrost. Uh -huh. So you'd have to be able to dig and melt it and so bring it back up. So you'd have to bring a, some sort of super shovel. They would have to bring all manner of things to dig. Yes, yes. What are two of the manners? Uh, no, no. I mean, uh, tools, could, they could be electric or shovels. Okay. Or, you know, I, they have to be able to get through mar the Martian surface if they're going to find water that we think is there. Now, we've heard his plans for getting to Mars. We haven't heard how he plans to fund it. Okay. That came up. You were, you, you were worried about this. You, because you were saying, I'm not going. I'm not worried at it's all. Got, it's got to be Russia. It's got to be NASA. We got big budgets and he didn't have a budget. Yes. I heard you. Is that the way I said it? That is so how you <laughs> say it. Don't say it like that. <laughs> I think, I think, I think you're exaggerating <laughs> a little bit. Well, he's going to go to just like Nabisco or something. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, when, when. Mars bars. Yes. <laughs> we're going to find out what Mars One founder, Baz Lansdorf, had to say about that when we return on Star Trek. We're back on Star Talk. We're featuring my interview with Baz Lansdorf, the guy who wants to send you to Mars and not bring you back. 
And I've got help talking about that with astronaut, former astronaut Mike Massimino in studio, and of course, Eugene Merman, to help make sense of all of this. Yes. So we, we, we <laughs> want to know. If I can't make sense of it, no one can. No one can. Yeah, we want to know. No counting on you. How is he going to pay for all this? Because it's going to be some number of billions of dollars. And he uh, had, how many billions? Well, I don't know. I didn't know at the time. We know how much NASA costs. Anytime NASA wants to do something, it's billions. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. It's so expensive. We're not going he, around a corner here. We're going, going a long way. Right, right, right. You're not driving around the block. No. Boldly going where hundreds have gone before. That's right. We're oh, going somewhere. Going time. somewhere. So thousands of people have already signed up for this trip to Mars. But there's a catch. I, I can't wait to hear. <laughs> Only, well, not everybody good. can go. Well, good. Not everybody can go, I bet. You have to bring your own cat. Like cat. Let, let's find out. All right. So uh, I asked Bass, how's he going to do this? And he started talking about television. Let's check it out. I started Mars One when I found the revenue number, numbers of the Olympic Games. One Olympic event makes about four and a half billion from broadcasting rights and sponsorships and partnerships. Four and a half billion. Worldwide. Worldwide. But that's a billion and a half per week only because you and I and a few other people, almost everybody else on the planet, is watching. Access to our eyeballs is apparently that valuable. And that made me realize that this is going to be so much bigger than one Olympic event, especially the first mission, but also the missions after that, if we can make it into a global event. We need to make this mankind's mission to Mars and then the world will watch for a very long time. Cosmic reality TV. The, the term reality TV has been polluted by <laughs> many different programs <laughs> on the world. So you want to elevate the concept? <laughs> well, I, I think we need a new term by mm -hmm. now. Um, but yeah, this is the greatest adventure of mankind and we want That's to clear. take humanity along for the ride. I think that the images... We'll be there. We'll be watching. You do that. I'm tuning in. You guys tuning into this? <laughs> Only if it yeah. doesn't compete with your time frame. <laughs> yeah. Because we're going to watch this. Okay. Oh, so you don't want it to be, to be co-broadcast co with StarTalk? Yeah, someone worked that out. Somebody I'll, worked I'll that out. That's what DVRs do, okay? Just... <laughs> Get That's with the that century new technology. Dude. <laughs> yes. So he wants to just have like a Mars channel. Essentially. That people will watch for the first few days. A Mars reality <laughs> channel. I think from the reality TV I've seen, what makes it interesting to those who watch it <laughs> is the conflict that develops among the people who are portrayed. Am I right? Yes. Yes, it's, it's you're who's, right. who's catfighting and who's jealous and who's going to backstab. That, that's good or for just ratings. any conflict. Any conflict. Including you, will you die right away or will you live? <laughs> but once it's like, looks like they're living, then it's sort of like, all right, what's next? And like, So you looks, think people get bored? I, I mean, if it's just people sitting in space, <laughs> I think they'll be very, very curious <laughs> and then, for a while. But at some point. Here you are point, floating in a different position. Yeah, yeah at some point it's going to be like, oh, more snacks. But then, it, you know, if the urine purifier breaks I mean, down, that will, that will be that will so they be can, exciting. They can have some, you know, they can plant a few things. So you're saying to, they should they should break the urine purifier I'm just not on purpose? Anything? I'm just That's what you said. Not no, the, did, actually, I, did you hear? I heard him. You know, you might not have to break it on purpose. Some some yeah. things will just happen. So, so Mike, there's been 43. I, I'm checking the numbers here. I think these are right. 43 robotic. Missions to Mars, mm -hmm. 21 of them have failed. One advantage he has that he does have people there. So sometimes a rover or something stops, and if you have a person on the spot and they're well-trained, they can help fix it. So I think he's, that, he's got that going for him. Um, but 
But yeah, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, and they're going to have a lot of unexpected things happen. So, in fact, if he's going to, if this is going to persist forever, mm -hmm. he needs Olympic-sized money coming in all the time. Yeah, he he does. And I, you know, I was thinking when I was watching this, you know, was, and you know, it's when we the, the moon missions, which you and I I think can remember, and Eugene's too young for that. But but, but I know it was they happened. Everyone, I don't everyone, think it was like a scheme you know, of the no, government. It really happened. Believe me. But everyone <laughs> yeah, yeah. was glued to their TV set on July twentieth, nineteen sixty-nine. For Apollo 11. The little black and white TV little sets. Little black and white TV sets that we all that we had back then. And everyone watched that. And a lot of people watched the, the launch, and every just about everyone who could watched the landing. And then Apollo 12, less so, and Apollo 13, people kind of tuned out. And at NASA, we always had this frustration is why you know, why can't people pay more attention to what we're doing? We're still doing cool stuff. I'll tell you why it waned. Go ahead. Why? I will tell you why. Because it, I'll tell you why. Because after ahead. we got to the moon, we didn't keep advancing a space frontier. You've got to keep advancing a frontier, and then there's a new headline to report on. Not, oh, astronauts go to the moon again. Excuse is, me. Is there a is there a C-SPAN version of uh, of the shuttle like like when like the space? Yeah, it's called NASA like, TV. It's called That's NASA called. TV. Is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Can NASA, we tur turn it on and we'll see people in space you can, having you lunch? You can yeah. turn it on and see what they're doing. Usually, yeah. Yeah. We got a we got a break. When we come back, we're gonna feature an interview with somebody who's actually made the cut. He made the cut to be in the final 100 to be selected to go to Mars and not come back when Star Talk continues. All right. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. 
Hey, that's me too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. We're back. Star Talk. Featuring my interview with Baz Lonsdorf, the guy who wants to send you to Mars and not bring you back. And so we wonder, you know, who's going to go? Because he's got a selection process. But before I learned that, I, I had to find out, is he going to go on this first mission? He's planning the whole yeah. thing. He's funding the whole thing. Is he going to be on the mission? You know what he told me? I don't know. He, he said, no, he's not going. Maybe he wants to come back. <laughs> so I've had to find out, how come he's not going? Check it out. I wanted to go myself on that first mission. I know now that I'm absolutely unqualified. As an entrepreneur, I'm That's impatient. That's a little suspicious. That's a little oh, suspicious. I would give, I would give anything. I, I recently had a baby. Apparently actually. not, because you're not going, so you're not giving anything. No, but you can only, you can only achieve your goal if you are the right stuff. Okay. If you're not the right stuff, then you should not go. Okay, so you're the wrong stuff. I'm the wrong stuff the to be on stuff. the crew. I, I'm impatient, I'm stubborn, I'm easily easily annoyed. So okay. that, that makes me a very bad first crew member. Mm -hmm. Maybe later when there's a, a, a bit of a colony where I can blend in and escape every now and or then. Or find some, uh, some people who you don't irritate. <laughs> that we might try. Okay. <laughs> So, Mike, he doesn't get along well with other people. Did you have to go through one? Yeah, when you were selected for an astronaut, did they give you psychological testing? Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> if he can't get along with people, he shouldn't be there because that, especially, you know, I mean, if this mission were to get pulled off, no matter any kind of space mission, you really need to be able to get along. It's more important in, in some ways than, than your technical ability to do the job. And that's what people don't always understand is that when you're picking a crew member like that, you're kind of like picking... A, f a friend or a family member or a, a teammate that's very, very important. They they're, should just send the cast of friends. They should, I don't they even should know do that. The they're already there. <laughs> but there's something about, you know, becoming, you know, wanting to come back in some ways that I think makes you a good candidate for, for doing yeah. these things in, that's in some fact, way. I, I hadn't sure. thought of that. What you're and saying is if you select people who don't want to come back, that could what? be a, that could correlate with a personality trait. Right. And, and so you know, every sci-fi movie I've seen that has a group of people, there's always some person who like weirds out. Yeah. Right. right. You know what? I, I, I think I will murder everyone. Right. right. If you weird out with no way to get away from this dude, cause you yeah. know, you're stuck there. But there is, I think there's something about, and I'm not saying anything against these people, these, these very courageous people. I think their heart's in the right place, but it's just something about it. You know, you do really want someone who wants to leave and not come back. Is that the kind, not, is that the kind of person you really want going? Bass didn't want to go, but I still wanted to know how he was choosing candidates. So I asked him, let's find out. We've uh, announced a search for our candidates uh, almost two years ago now, and we had more than 200,000 applications, from which we've now narrowed down to about 100. Uh, what, what we see, first of all, is that it's, uh, it's everyone. It's all kinds of people. It's men and women, old and young. Uh, it's engineers, of course, scientists, but also politicians, lawyers, soldiers. It's all kinds of people. And I think it's actually very comparable to the kinds of people that explored uh, the Earth, which could also have been anyone. Anyone could step on a ship and sail across the ocean. Uh, anyone could decide to leave their village for new opportunity. In your first four people, is you're gonna make sure one of them is an engineer and a medical doctor and a, uh, 
Navigator. I mean, don't you need some basic uh, skills. professions and skill sets? We, we will pick our astronauts for their most demanding task, which is the, the separation of the Earth, the mental skill, the team skill that you need to go on this mission. Then, of course, they need uh, the medical skills and engineering skills, but we are training them for more than 10 years. That's enough for a medical degree and an engineering degree. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. And they'll be very, they'll be trained very specifically. They'll be trained for the equipment and for the emergency situations that are most likely to occur. And they're, they're not an important uh, difference between the old exploration and going to Mars is uh, that they are in touch. If you were going to uh, North America from Europe, you could send a letter which would take at least a in, month. In the old days, right. In the old right. days. And uh, nowadays, Mars is, in, in the worst case scenario, 40 minutes away. So if there's an emergency... 40 minutes of communication time. Yeah, that's the, the radio signal travel time between Mars on the other side of the sun and Earth in case we're not lined up close. Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah, and in the, but in the best case scenario, it's still three minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, three minutes one way, six minutes return. So if there is a medical emergency, they will know how to stabilize the patient. But if it's something that they've never uh, done before on Earth, they, they can receive all the instructions. They're trained as, as doctors and they can receive the instructions to operate or to do whatever is necessary to help their crewmate. Cut here. <laughs> <laughs> So he, 200,000 applicants down to 100. Yeah. And guess what? what? I've got one of those 100 on video call right now. Ryan cool. McDonald. Oh, all right. He's a, ma he's a master's student in physics at Oxford University in the UK. Mm -hmm. And we should throw to him right now. You got him online? There he goes. Hey. Hey. Hi, Neil. Hey. Hello. <laughs> So you're you're one of the successful candidates. So why why did why did you show up among the two hundred thousand? What special talents did you have? Well, I think principally it's about the mind that you have. You need to be able to rapidly absorb large quantities of information and be able to apply them in an unfamiliar context. Because as long as you have a good brain, you can be taught whatever skills you require. Obviously, I mean, I have a physics background. It helps me. I can solve my differential equations and the like. But I know very little about medicine, for instance, which I'll have to learn as part of this. So I like to think that I've demonstrated that I can learn the skills that I need to be able to to train for a mission such like this. So there was an exam they gave you to demonstrate this talent? Yes, but we've only been tested as individuals up to this point. It's the group dynamic which ultimately decides who gets selected to go into training for this, and that's still coming up. So if you're particularly smelly or hard to get along with, <laughs> you're not going to get past the, that last hundred. Well, we'll have to see if you're in a group of four people who all like each other's smells, maybe that's fine then. We'll see. <laughs> that's, I hadn't thought about that possibility. Good. Um, and so it's interesting because we, uh, here in the, in, in the United States, we have this image, and uh, one of my panelists is an astronaut here, we have this image from the old days of the right stuff going into space, where you would, it would be physically challenging and they put you through uh, physical rigor but apparently not so much in, in this situation. It's all mental. Yeah, it's entirely about the mentality. That's crucial for mission success. You have to be able to cope with extreme isolation. And I don't know a priori whether I will be able to cope with that or not. That's why simulated missions are so important for selecting the crews for this mission. Okay, now, uh, did he tell you that, uh, 
that you're not coming back from Mars? <laughs> oh, I get, that is the entire point of this. It's, it's not about, I, I wouldn't have signed up for a mission just go there, plant a flag and bring it back. That I would be boring. By doing this. It's a long road still to go, but I've, I've been really enthusiastic and passionate by seeing just how much Mars One has achieved thus far. And in particular, in terms of getting the public excited about space exploration and meaning that we're having this conversation about humans going to Mars one day. So it's just the beginning, it's just the conceptual design phase, but yeah, things are moving ahead in the right direction. Mike, what are you gonna to say to this man? Mike Massimino flew on the uh, space shuttle, uh, repaired the Hubble in one of the repair missions, and he's a PhD engineer, uh, but, he's, but he's been nodding as he's been listening to you, but until, that, until you came on, he was shaking his head, right? Yeah. Making, making like funny faces, but now he's, yeah, with you speaking, he's been nodding. Mike, what do you yeah, say? No, it's, it's very interesting to hear, you know, the, the attitude, this this young man, what he's trying to do. In the, you, the he can hear you. Up. You have to say, this young man. Oh, I, I think you're doing great, <laughs> Ryan, man. you can hear him Ryan, speak, I, right? I wish, I wish you the best of luck. I really like your enthusiasm, and, you know, it's these kind of ideas that get things done. And I, I think you're you're realistic in the standpoint that it's going to take a lot of funding and there's a lot of roads to cross. But, hey, you know, I, 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 I it's, it's really great to see you up on that screen. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, that's what I've seen. Terrific. It's the one thing that I've noticed that all the 100 candidates at this point share in common, and that's it. We're fundamental optimists who are in this in order to give something back to the world as a whole. It's not about running away to Mars and leaving problems behind. It's about how we can make the world a better place. <laughs> yeah, it isn't Why? about escaping your problems on Mars. <laughs> Okay, who, who, who are you in debt to here on Earth? Yeah, what? yeah, that is a lot of unpaid credit cards. <laughs> oh, well, um, and be careful, when, be careful when, when I you signed get there. the contract for my uh, my student loan, it didn't say anything about moving to a different planet. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. But uh, you'll be leaving family and friends and loved ones on Earth, and you're okay with that, or rather, are they okay with that? Well, so my family's always been really supportive of everything that I've wanted to do in life they know that this is what I want to do more than anything else, and that I want to do it for the right reasons. If my involvement as a candidate in this mission can get even a single young person inspired about space exploration, it's more than worth it for me. Well, that's a great answer, and you, you're as compelling a candidate as I think we can imagine here. Uh, so, Ryan, thank you for, for your time. Good luck, Ryan. Yeah, yes. yeah Ryan, just, just, just good luck with that. We'll be... We'll be now. You're the only one we know on this trip now, so we'll be bucking for you to yeah, get to yeah. get on. Please we want write. to know somebody. <laughs> Please write. Yeah. 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 Right when you get to Mars, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'll make videos just for you, Nick. Uh, excellent. All right. Thank you, Ryan. When Star Talk comes back, more with my interview with Baz Lonsdorf, the man who wants to send you to Mars and not bring you back on Star Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Talk is back from the Hall of the Universe of the American Museum of Natural History. Mike, you're helping me here. Trying, Mike man. Massimino, I'm trying. former astronaut, shuttle astronaut. You know, we don't fly shuttles anymore. Do they tell you that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay, just so you know. Okay. You ruined it for the rest of us. Dang it. <laughs> and Eugene, thanks for helping me try to unpack this uh, this story about uh, Baz Lansdorp. The, the uh, engineer space entrepreneur who wants to send people to Mars one way. We've been talking about how to get there, how to fund it, 
who he's going to choose. But then there's the little matter of keeping people alive once you get there. They have plans on manufacturing air, breathable air. Uh, they have plans on extracting water. Breathable air is my favorite kind <laughs> That's of air. Your favorite kind of air. <laughs> and water, there's likely water in the, in the lower soils of Mars. But uh, what about food? What are you going to eat? Very important. There's talk of, of mice. They, they reproduce rapidly. Mm -hmm. uh, mice or rabbits or some other small mammals. Yeah. Uh, they reproduce fast. And, yeah. um, Who wouldn't want to fly to Mars and eat fried mice? <laughs> <laughs> so, but but you, don't, you don't carry fresh food that you then kill, be they <laughs> animal or vegetable, when you are in space. Fresh food is a problem because of refrigeration. And if you takes energy and it takes mass. energy and and yeah and so we is had anything we had, refrigerated. Uh, there there is there is some refrigeration, but on the space station, for example, but it's very limited. And on the space space shuttle, we had none. So, for the fresh food we were going to have, we are able to take some, but you had to eat it right away because it would, it would. We had some fresh fruit, but it, you had to eat it right away. So they have to figure that out. They have to figure it out. And yeah. we've been able to grow plants on the International Space Station, and so there's there's hope to do that. But there's a lot of details in there. What are you going to eat? And people can say they're okay with eating like raisins for the rest of their life. But that really is not something you want to do, particularly when you want to maintain a, a good morale and a good health. I mean, it, it, that's really important. There's a lot that goes into that. Plus, if they're going to have a sustained colony, yes. at some point, they not only have to make food, they have to make other colonists. Well, yes. Well, yeah. So I, I had to ask Bas, yeah. what, what, when do you start making more colonists? And just yeah. find, just find right. out where, where his mind is in this, in this regard. Let's, Let's find out. out. We will actually send in each crew two men and two women. But of course, we don't know yet, scientists don't know yet if, uh, if fertilization works in reduced gravity of Mars. We don't know how a fetus will develop in the reduced gravity of Mars. So before we have a really long and thin embryo, let's, uh, let's find out that information first. Let's build a colony that is safe. So maybe 20 or 30 or 40 people living there. Imagine a toddler running around in a colony with four uh, astronauts living on Mars. That's not a good place for a kid to grow up. So, at some the most point, famous kid there ever was, though. The first Martian. After Jesus. The <laughs> Jesus in the manger comes the child born on Mars. Yeah, the second first most famous child so. ever. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's crazy. But uh, it, it needs to be done in a, in a thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll be sending very responsible people to Mars, and I expect that they will behave responsibly. <laughs> so so on, the, on the Mars One website, it says, Mars One will advise the first settlement inhabitants not to attempt to have children. <laughs> At all. Plus, am I not right? Sperm count drops in zero G? They never told me that one. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? So it says don't have babies, but it doesn't say you can't have sex. Right. That's all. Well, right. also, can you send like a pregnant animal and then see what happens? Is am I a non-human animal? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, no, I, I like a cat or a dolphin or something. Yeah, dolphin. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm presuming the reason he doesn't want them to attempt to reproduce for the first crew is because they want to do some kind of testing and experiments to yeah, see what's I, possible. Yeah, I can only guess right? that. So, Just, so that would almost make sense because that's what you're about to being survive responsible. Right. At all. Right, this might Your not be a good idea. Your first choice would not be having toddlers running around. Right. Because they themselves are not good at survival. Right. Most right. of the life of the parent is preventing the toddler from dying. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong here? Parent, any parents in there? That is the whole job. 
to have them not die. It'd be one thing for a toddler to break your dishwasher, but to break your thing in outer space would be terrible. Dang it, I told you not to push that button. (laughs) Yes. When we come back to Star Talk, we're going to enter the Cosmic Queries Zone. We're going to be taking your questions on Mars exploration when we return to Star Trek. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Star Talk, we're back. And what we've got in this segment is a section we like to call Cosmic Queries. And this is where we solicit questions uh, from either our audience or from the internet or from our website. Yes. Now, kind of what makes this fun is I, don't, I have no idea what the questions are in advance. And so we'll just see how I, if I don't know the answer, I'm just going to say, I don't know the answer. Go to the next one. That would okay. be impossible. No. <laughs> stump me. That's impossible. <laughs> All right, Eugene, go for All it. All right, let's see. Kyle Toth from Garfield Heights, Ohio. He asks, what would it be like to swim in a pool on Mars given the lesser gravity? That would be fun. Ooh, so first, if you had a pool with a diving board, mm-hmm. your dives would look like they were practically in slow motion. So, so you, you would fall more slowly to the water. You would get sort of less injured because you wouldn't hit it at such a high speed. That, and the waves would move more slowly. Like, at, they, would, they would sort of rise and fall at a, at a slow, they'd weigh less, okay? And other than that, once you're underwater, I don't know that you would notice much of a difference. In fact, Mike, uh, when you trained for the Hubble, yep. to, to simulate zero G, the best we have is underwater, that's, right? That's correct, yeah. And you, you're trying to get neutrally buoyant, meaning that your, your force, the buoyancy force pushing you up out of the water negates the gravity force pulling you down into so the water. So you're just floating there. you're kind of floating in the water column. Yeah, so if you're in the water, you wouldn't notice it, but I, I would love to see a diving contest. Uh, on into, Mars. On Mars into Martian water. Okay, so if we're going to send people to Mars, there are dangers. We haven't really talked about dangers yet. The likelihood of dying. This is something you want to know before you do this. Maybe Mike, not. <laughs> Mike, did you know your chances of dying statistically by going up to repair the Hubble twice? Uh, yeah. You know that, and you they, took, they took they had a they had a calculated probability of what the chances were, and it's a higher number at depending on where you're going to go. The Hubble altitude had more debris at the altitude we were at than at the lower altitudes. Where the you could have been knocked is. out by space debris. Correct, and because so all yeah. that's calculated. You could have been gravity. It's, it's right. And it's a, like and, the movie and Gravity. One of the reasons, one, to, to to reduce reduce that probability, 
Neil, we were only up at the telescope when we were servicing the telescope. Once we got rid of the telescope, we came down to the lower altitude for the last couple of I days. I didn't of the know mission. that. And by the way, of course, the, Hubble is at a much higher altitude. 300, about 350 statute miles compared to about 250. Right. So yep. that you don't have to correct its orbit as often. Right. And so, and the reason why there's more debris there is because there's so little atmosphere, the yeah, atmosphere right, doesn't right. take the debris there's out. More, that's right. It stays up there longer. It stays up there longer. So that's, what was the risk? Right. So, the risk so the updated risk we had for our mission was about 1 in 75. 1 in 75 meant there was a 1 out of 75 chance of total loss of vehicle and crew. That's total, that's total loss. So then there's other scenarios where you may just hopefully get the crew back but lose the vehicle. Lose the vehicle or some of the crew comes back and so on. But generally you're looking at about a 1 out of 75 possibility I, I of, to, of a bad thing, of a really bad day. I had to ask Mars One founder, Baz Lansdorp, mm -hmm. what are the risks that he sees that his people will face going to Mars? Check it out. Mm -hmm. The design of our mission is not detailed enough yet to give percentages, but I, I am certain that it's not going to be a safe mission to Mars because there's no such thing as a safe mission to Mars. Exploration has always been dangerous, and what's important for Mars One is that we identify the risks, we make sure that everybody knows them, not just our candidates, which for, for them it's the most important, but also our investors, our media partners, the audience, and then if something does indeed go wrong, just like with the Apollo program, people will understand that this was something that could happen. You're not, you're not guaranteeing complete survival because that's inherent with being on the frontier of discovery. And everybody, everybody, all of our candidates know that this is a risky mission. They know it. They might die. So there's some among us in the human species who readily take those risks? Uh, yeah, but it's and, you know from from our standpoint, I would hope it's for these same folks. Is that it's not a foolhardy risk. You're not doing it for the risk. It's not like you're going you're to doing, Mars. It's not like you're, yeah, yeah. Well, I would. <laughs> That's a good point. It's just an example. Yeah, with it's no not like you're doing anything return. crazy. Yeah. But you know you, to be on TV yeah. because how else could you get on television? And you're not coming back. You're sure you're not coming back. So yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would hope that they would think that what they're doing is worthwhile and that their uh, the risk they're taking is worth it. So do you think if there was a big disaster and half the people died, that that's it? Or will that attract more people? Because the year that the—I I read this, that yeah. the year that the most people ever who died on Mount Everest, yeah. the year after that— More people went. More people went. Yeah, I don't, More I people think, applied than ever before. I think for, for is that, that just because people are crazy? No, I, I think it's because when you make a decision to go, you keep you keep going. And the only way I can relate to that is after we had our, our accident with the shuttle, it really didn't change the equation. You knew it was dangerous bef before you decided to do this, and all that is is more data to, to say, yeah, you know, it's it's really it's and they really went dangerous. to a person, the closest relatives to everyone who died, mm -hmm. and said, should we continue this mission? And to a person, everyone said, you have to continue it. Yeah, I, I think that's. If for no other reason in their memory. Correct. You have and that, to that's that's what I you know, that's what we kind of dedicated ourselves to when we had our accident. You're gonna go and you're gonna continue in their memory and you you're you've already made your decision to go. It doesn't didn't add any data. You knew it could have happened to you. It happened to someone else, you feel sorry for them. In some ways you feel fortunate it wasn't you. Right. And it's it's your job to continue. And and I think that that is that is true exploration. Same thing you know, when Shackleton, you know, the exploration to the to the South, South Pole. Pole. Those guys, all, they all signed up to go again. They had, they were stranded. They got out of it after a couple of years, and they all signed up to go again. It's, it's you make, you make the decision. That's what that you think is important to your life, and you, and you, you keep doing it. I don't, you know, I don't. I, this is, 
I don't want to get overly dramatic about it, but I would hope that these people feel the same way about what they're, what they're trying to do. We can be skeptical about whether or not they can do it, but I think the spirit of it would be the same. When we come back on Star Talk, we're going to find out what Bill Nye has to say about all this. Check it out. Talk. We're back. We're back. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I tweet at Neil Tyson if you care about my brain droppings that show up every now and then. And Eugene, Eugene Merman, you tweet. Yeah. And Astro Mike, Astro underscore Mike. Yep. Uh, you, you tweeted, you were the first human to tweet from space. I was. Yes, yep. very first cool. First tweet from space. Carrying about more than a million Twitter followers with you. But yep. Big responsibility. Yes. Don't mess it up. I, I'm trying. You've, in, you've inspired me in this area. Okay. I'm doing the best I can. We've been featuring my interview with Baz Lansdorp, the you know the, the the founder of Mars One, sending people to Mars one way. And I didn't want to have this happen without Bill Nye weighing in on what this means to him. Let's check him out. Is he somewhere in the city? I don't know where. Let's find out. Okay. Lady Liberty a symbol of arrival for people from all over the globe who came here seeking a new life, not knowing exactly what they'd find when they got here, but they were confident there'd be water to drink and air to breathe. When we compare that to the expected experience of the Mars One astronauts, well, it's gonna be a very different story. A recent MIT study concluded that the first Mars One astronaut would die within 68 days. She or he will either starve to death die of thirst or burn up in some sort of yet to be figured out artificial Martian atmosphere. Furthermore, they think they can do this for four and a half billion dollars. Well, the International Space Station goes through that kind of cash in about a year. So they're gonna make up the difference in cost with a pay-per-view scheme, which will enable those of us back here on Earth to watch the Mars One astronauts die. I'm sure it will be riveting. Meanwhile, we could be doing real exploration. So let's do that. Let's send real astronauts to Mars to leave boot prints instead of corpses. Let's honor the great tradition of exploring new worlds so that we will have a better future for all of us. Lady Liberty. So uh, Bill wants to leave boot prints, not body bags. Uh, do you, what, how do you read this? I, 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 I agree, I, I, I absolutely. I, I I, I think that I, the idea of, of sending people on a one-way trip um, and- You say scene, that as though people are dragged kicking and screaming <laughs> to do so. They have signed up for this and they're gonna read the MIT study and they're still doing it. So you don't, that's not an argument that they might die. They know they might die. The you knew you might die. They know they might die. But, so now what? But the spirit, I, I think you're saying the spirit of exploration involves coming thank home. You. Yeah, I, I, I think so. The idea of coming back or, or, or being the able Mayflower to... Mayflower had no intentions in coming okay, home. Okay, so let, let, me, let me get but rid of the way I would feel. they knew they could if they were like, this place is terrible. <laughs> I would, I would want to come back and I'd want to go with people that want to come back. Right, let's forget that. By the way, the seafaring, the, the, the people who went on these oceanic voyages, mm -hmm. half of them didn't survive either. And that was a well-known fact mm -hmm. in the day. I'm talking about back in the 1500s and 1600s. They knew mm -hmm. this. So, you know, this is the, the, the widow's, what do you call the? Uh, widow's walk. The widow's walk, yeah. where you would mm -hmm. see the ship not knowing if your husband was even alive, even if the ship did come back. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I had to ask Baz, 
Where did he think any of this would be 100 years from now? 100 years from now, you'll still be saying it'll never work. I, I will. <laughs> I hope so, because I'll still be alive. <laughs> let's, let's find out what Bass says right. about the future of Mars One. What does Mars look like to you 100 years from now? 100 years from now, I hope that we have a, a, a very successful colony there, a number of villages maybe, a, a small city, um, that are no longer dependent on uh, uh, for their lives on the Earth. So maybe maybe they still receive medicines or or microchips. It's just a from supply Earth. chain. That's all. It's it, yeah, but it's. I hope that it's not a supply chain that they need for survival, only for luxury. Um, but it's it's very difficult to look into the future, and with all the developments in three D printing and even atom printing. Even those things might go faster than we can currently foresee. But one thing that has not developed very quickly lately is uh, rocket technology. And the rockets that we use today are basically still the same that launched the Sputnik, the first satellite, into Earth orbit. And that would really change everything. There you go. All right, so you're skeptical. That's cool. I'm skeptical too. I think the value that, that what, what Bass has done is that he's gotten people talking about going to Mars in a way that we probably wouldn't talk about it if it was gonna be our traditional government program. You're doing a program here that people are gonna watch, hopefully lots of people are gonna watch and Thousands. start wondering, millions or whatever they've got, billions. Hundreds. Whatever you get here, at least I'll watch it, Neil. And what they'll do is learn something and think about going to Mars. I think that's the value here. Even if they don't make it to Mars, just the idea of dreaming about it and trying to do it I think is very commendable. I don't think everyone's gonna be alive and happy. There'll be a lot of dead people, but they would have at least known what those risks are. And if somebody doesn't take risks in this species, if someone had never, if people had never, if the subset of us who do take risks had never taken risks in the history of this species, we'd still be living in a cave. And that's no place that I wanna be. Mike, thanks for being on Star thanks Talk. For having me. It's been great. Eugene. You've been watching Star Talk on National Geographic Channel here from the Coleman Hall of the Universe at the American Museum of Natural History. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.